0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. If you have questions about this church or about Unitarian Universalism, don't hesitate to ask someone who looks like they know what they're doing or the kind and friendly people at the visitor table or ask me if... um, you think I know what I'm doing. (laughs) We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth. And the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship today is written by Maltse. When all the people, when all the people of the world love, then the strong will not overpower the weak. The many will not oppress the few, the wealthy will not mock the poor, the honored will not disdain the humble, the cunning will not deceive the simple. Many people ask, what holds you all together? You're all Unitarian Universalists, but you don't have a creed. You don't have something that you list that we believe in. This is what you have to believe to be a Unitarian Universalist. What holds you together? Well, there are many things. Our seven principles, our six sources, all of those hold us together. But this congregation's feet are guided by our mission statement, which we wrote on the wall and we say every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, And do justice. Now is the time in our service where we breathe deeply together into that place of stillness that we find inside. It is in this place that we can speak to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just follow our breath. As it moves in and out of our bodies, it is in this place that we can find our way. It is in this place where we seek guidance and wisdom. It is in this place where we just feel the stillness sink our roots deep into the heart of compassion. Let us enter into the silence together, remembering that small child noises and the noises of life are part of silence in this congregation. We're having um, April Fuels Day, day to day. So we're talking about clean energy and fuel and the problems that our earth is struggling with. I'm going to talk about Passover, though, Uh, previous to talking about all of our modern-day plagues. Our Jewish friends and neighbors and cousins just finished celebrating Passover, and we had our Seder last Friday night, uh, the 3rd, here at church where we told the whole story um, to small children who were having to sit for an hour in front of food without eating it. So some of you all weren't there. I'm going to tell you the story of, uh, I'm going to basically just tell you the whole story of the Exodus, which is in the book of Exodus, named after the Exodus from Egypt. Exodus here at exit, Exodus means going out. Um, You all knew that already, but you never know. So the Hebrew people were down in Egypt. How did they get there? What happened? Well, what happened was that Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob had 12 sons and some daughters. They don't list them. Twelve sons, twelve tribes. Jacob's sons were the twelve tribes of Israel. So these twelve sons were not, you know, some of them were nice and some of them were, mm, uh, as in most families. So what they did was they didn't like their younger brother Joseph. And they were all out with the, with the um, animals in the field. And there was a traveling um, caravan coming through on the way down to Egypt. And they had decided that their father liked Joseph the best because he'd given him this beautiful multicolored coat and um, was just paying, he was paying too much attention to Joseph. So they decided to kill him. And one of the brothers, Benjamin, who was the nicest one, uh, said, Let's not actually kill him, let's just give him to these guys who are going to Egypt. And so that they sold him to the traveling salespeople who were going down to Egypt on their camel caravan, and they took the multicolored coat and soaked it in some animal blood, and they took it to their dad, and they said, "You know, Joseph got eaten by a lion, and uh, or a whale, or you know, it's just it was bad, and we were all like unconscious because we tried to save him, but it didn't. Anyway, I'm paraphrasing." So Joseph ended up in Egypt, where he had many adventures. I won't tell you all of those. He ended up in jail. He um, interpreted a dream for the jailer, and then the jailer told his boss that this guy could interpret dreams. And then the Pharaoh started having troubling dreams, and so they got Joseph out of jail to to interpret the Pharaoh's dream for him. And so Joseph became kind of an advisor to the Pharaoh. And once he was settled. In his new position, out of jail and into the palace, um, he sent for his family. So Isaac, old Isaac, came, and all the brothers came, and all their wives, and all their children. Uh, They had some daughters too, but we don't know who they are. And um, they lived well there, and they were honored in Egypt. And then the people who came from the 12 tribes, they multiplied and were healthy and strong and Um, then it says, we don't know after how many hundred years, there arose a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And the soundtrack goes, boom, boom. And this pharaoh didn't know why the Hebrew people were being honored. He didn't know the story of Joseph. He didn't know how the Hebrew people had contributed to the well-being of Egypt by saving them from famine. And so he started to get nervous and said to his advisors, those Hebrew people, they are pretty strong and healthy, and they are having lots and lots of babies. And I just don't trust having that many people who aren't, you know, people like us. Um, Among us, in case we get uh, invaded, they might just turn and help the enemy and then leave our country and leave us decimated. So I think we should start controlling them. Don't you? And the advisors, mindful of their lives, said, Oh, yes, you're right. Absolutely, O king. You are really right. And so they started setting overseers over the Hebrew people and started making them work for nothing, which is called enslaving. They enslaved the people, they were robbing them of their lives and of their livelihood by making them work. They built several towns for the pharaohs, and for 400 years, the Hebrew people were enslaved. The, the pharaoh said to the midwives—now, there were only two midwives for the whole um, place, the Hebrew people, and so I can't imagine there were that many people—but uh, he said to these two midwives, Hey! When you're at a birth in a Hebrew household, if it's a girl, uh, let it live. And if it's a boy, you got to kill it. And um, the midwives said, okay, O king, but they didn't do it. They let everybody live. Um, Then when the pharaoh found out that the Hebrew people were continuing to multiply, um, he went again to the midwives and said, no, really, you need to... Get rid of the boys. And so we don't know. The, the passage kind of glides over how many they lost. But um, one of the women hid her boy for three months. And then when she couldn't hide him anymore, um, she made a little basket and waterproofed it and put it in the river. And her daughter watched the basket the princess came from the palace down to the river with her girls to bathe and um, she saw this baby in a basket and took it home with her and this girl who had been watching the baby to make sure he was all right the sister she said um I know a lady who could nurse this baby if you wanted her to and the princess said yeah that would be a good idea so the mother got paid for nursing her baby in the palace and pretending it wasn't hers. I don't think there's enough money that would make up for that. But it was better than seeing your baby lost. So now you know how the Hebrew people got to Egypt. And they were there for a really, really long time. And then they were slaves for a really, really long time. And so there were many of them by the time of, their, of the birth of Moses. Moses. So Moses was raised in the palace, so he was raised as a very privileged Hebrew person. One of the things that happened to him, though, was that one day he was out in the sand, and he saw an Egyptian overseer just beating a Hebrew guy, beating him terribly. And Moses looked around to see if anybody was looking, and then he killed the guy who was beating up his Hebrew cousin person, and um, buried him in the sand. So a few weeks later, he saw a dispute between two Hebrew guys. They were fighting, and he was like, hey, why are you hitting each other? They hit us enough. Why are you all hitting? And they were like, what, are you going to kill us like you killed that other guy? And Moses was like, oh, man, somebody saw me. So it started his unsettling the unsettling of his life, so he left town, and um, he was wandering a little bit. Uh, he saw these seven sisters coming to water their flocks, and uh, he decided to help them, so he he helped them haul water and put it in the troughs for their flocks and they said, why don't you come home for dinner and thank you so much for helping us and he went home for dinner and their dad was uh, was happy to hear that story and so he was like why don't you marry this daughter of mine and Moses said okay I will and so they got married and started having children and Moses was tending flocks there and suddenly he was tending flocks we don't know how long he did that but they had a couple of kids so in the Bible you know everything says and then this happened but you don't know that it was six years so and then uh, he had a couple of kids and this happened um He was out tending his flocks and he saw this bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And he went over to check it out. And he heard a voice in the bush that says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And God started talking to him from the burning bush. And he said, I have heard my people calling out to me, crying out to end their slavery. And Moses said, yeah, I wish it should end. I think that would be a great idea. And God said, you do it. And Moses was like, well, you know, uh, mm, I uh, I don't talk that well. I've got a kind of a, my, my lips falter. We don't know what that means, but maybe he had a stutter. We don't know. Um, my lips falter. Um, God said, you have a brother, Aaron, who can talk for you. So apparently another boy baby got saved too, but we don't know the story of Aaron's getting saved from being killed. But anyway, there he was, the brother Aaron, who could speak for Moses. And Moses said, no, really, God said, I'll be with you. And Moses was like, yeah, I uh, I don't really know what that means. And God said, throw your staff on the ground. And Moses was like, it turned into this huge snake. And Moses ran away. And God said, okay, now go back to where the snake is and grab it by the tail. <laughs> and Moses did. And it turned into a staff again. And Moses said, wow, that was really impressive. I, uh... I still don't think I can do it. And God said, put your hand into your coat. Moses put his hand in there. He said, draw it out, draw it out. Ah, there was leprosy all over his hand. He was like, well, yeah, you proved something, something to me. God said, put it back, put it back, draw it out again. It was well. And then God said something sarcastic about some people only believe the second time. One reason I like the Hebrew Scriptures is God is sarcastic a good amount of the time, which is a language that I speak as well. So um, he said, God, the the people won't believe me. I can tell them what happened, but they'll, they're going to laugh at me. And he said, just pull up some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and I'll turn it into blood, and then they'll believe you. So all of that happened, um, but it was slow. The people finally... Realized that Moses was going to be the guy that was going to help them. So, what happened then was Moses went to the Pharaoh and said, um, Let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, No, I'm not going to do that. And because you're so uppity, I am going to make it harder on the slaves and I'm going to stop providing the slaves with straw. To make their bricks with, they're going to have to gather their own straw, but I'm not going to lower their quota. They have to make the same number of bricks. We're going to talk about this again at the end of the month when we talk about Rumpelstiltskin, but um, right now we're talking about the Hebrew scriptures. So they were going to have to gather their own straw and still make as many bricks as they had made before, and so the slaves were mad at Moses because he'd made their life harder and Moses was mad at God, because you know how that goes. You Look what you made me do, and now everybody's mad at me. And God said, go to the Pharaoh again, and I'm going to smite him. And, uh, and lo, there was lots of smiting that happened after that. He went to the Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, no. And Moses said, I, look, I'm stretching this staff out over the River Nile. And those of you who have been there know what it looks like. I'm turning it to blood. And the whole river turned to blood. Not only the river, it wasn't some kind of red tide algae thing. Not only the river, but all the water that was already in cisterns and already in people's cups and already, you know, you're getting ready to feed it to the baby. And, oh, my goodness, it turned into blood. And uh, the river stank so badly. <laughs> You know, there are these little things in the Bible that, are, that make you go. It said the river stank so badly that the Egyptians could not drink the water. I'm like, but it was blood. Why did it have to also stink for them not to drink it? But, you know, yeah, most people don't read it that slowly. Um, so, but that hurt the Hebrews, too, because all their water turned to blood as well. And um, then he went to the pharaoh again. It doesn't say whether he turned the water back to water again, but he went to the pharaoh again, let my people go, no. um, I'm going to make frogs come up out of the water. So frogs came up and got into everything, into everybody's everything, into their underwear drawers, into their beds, into their baby cribs, into everything, these frogs. And um, then the pharaoh's magicians This is a part I had forgotten until I reread it. The pharaoh's magicians were like, we can do that. And they went, bam. And there were frogs coming up out out of everything. They reproduced what Moses had done. And and pharaoh was like, see? We'll make them go away. Well, the magicians were like, "Oh, oh, sorry. We can't do that part. Can't make them go away. Then there was a plague of gnats. Moses struck the dust, and the dust became gnats, and everybody had gnats all over them. Then there were flies, and in this plague... And and by the way, the magicians couldn't do the gnats thing. So we're already into different territory. They couldn't do it. Then Moses said, let my people go. No. Then there were flies and everything. But God said, this time I'm just going to send the flies to the Egyptians and not to the Hebrew people. So there were flies all over the Egyptians' animals and the Egyptians' food and the Egyptians' beds. Nothing. but The Hebrew people. Then all of the animals of Egypt. The Egyptians, again, these last several plagues didn't hit the Hebrew people. All the animals got sick and and um, had to be nursed, and some of them died. Then everybody got boils. Not the Hebrew people, but the animals got boils. The animals who were already sick, they got boils. The people got boils. Then there was hail. I'm not sure why hail is worse than boils. To me, if I had to choose, I would go like, First, give me hail. I would rather not have the boils, but this is how it goes. Then, locusts. I got as close to a picture of a locust as I could for the cover of the bulletin. I think it might just be a grasshopper, but it, it still flipped Vicky out so much she had to put the bulletins together like this. So if some of them aren't quite right, you know she wasn't looking. Then everything turned dark. The air turned thick. And dark, and the Pharaoh still wouldn't let them go. And then God said, because God had hardened his heart, this is another part of the story that you forget. It's a part that makes you wonder about the whole story. Why would God send something to convince you to do something and then harden your heart so you wouldn't do it? but maybe it was just a way of talking about what happened the last plague was the death of the firstborn child of every egyptian family and every animal family all the firstborn animals died and all the firstborn people died in the families of the egyptians and the and the way that the hebrew people showed the angel of death who to pass over was that they all sacrificed a lamb and painted the doorposts of their house with lamb's blood so the angel of death would go, oh, not going to that house to kill their firstborn because they have the lamb's blood on the lintels of their home. I wish I had time to tell you about the time I did Passover with my own blood by accident, but um, I'll tell you another time. After the firstborns died, the Pharaoh said, go, get out of here, get out. And so the people were ready to go because God had told them to be ready to go. They were so ready to go that they didn't even have time to bake bread and let it rise to take on their journey, so the bread was just flat. They just stuck the dough on their backs where it just hardened in the sun when they carried it and everything else into the desert. So the story goes that they were headed for the desert, they had to cross the sea, Uh, it's called the Red Sea, it wasn't really red, it's just a sea, and um, that Moses struck the water with his staff and the waters parted so that they could get across and then when the Pharaoh, who had changed his mind, came after them with armies and chariots and horses and you've all seen the movie, as soon as they got into this trough that was Paused by the waters parting, the waters uh, rejoined each other, and the Pharaoh's army was drowned. All right, so I think about what our current-day plagues are. And I think about who we are. And I think about who the oppressed people are, and who is the pharaoh. And I think about plagues like domestic violence and gun violence in our particular country. I think about plagues like income inequality and police violence. And I think about our whole culture, which is built on uh, white supremacy and uh, the putting down of black and brown people and the control of those people so they don't get uppity and join our enemies and wipe us out. Uh, By us, I mean white people. And so um, I think about all all of the good that science has done, and I think about all of the dumb things that science has done. I think, you know, you grow up in the Carolinas and you see kudzu covering everything. I don't know if you've seen it. But um, some bright minds brought it over for keeping the highways, um, f- keeping the soil from eroding on the highways because it grows a foot a day. I mean, you could almost watch it grow. And so they planted it all over the place. <laughs> and it grew a foot a day. And it started growing over the highways, and it grew over the uh, cars, and it grew over the telephone poles. And if you had a house that was by the highway, it grew over your house. And um, it's a terrible, terrible problem. And we've done other things in our, uh, we've brought ourselves other, that's a very minor plague. I mean, that's just something that people in the South just play with. Well, how do you get rid of kudzu? You know, they say, well, we roll it back. Well, we smother it, or we dig it out, or we, you know. (sighs) I've trained my dog to eat it. No. But there are other things like that. I mean, uh, people came back from World War II, and they were brilliant, and they said, we have to end this famine, this terrible hunger that we've seen, and let's build seeds that can have more yield. Let's, let's make corn that will really feed the world. And, um, and so they modified the corn to resist... Uh, Worms and diseases, and so they planted this corn, and then they thought um, maybe we 'll uh, maybe we 'll make a corn that has insecticide right in it, so it 'll kill the bugs better and they took something from the soil, what could be wrong with something that 's already in the soil, and they put it genetically in every cell of the corn. And this is called BT corn because BT is the name of that little bacteria they got out of the soil, and then, and so they put it in there, and then they and then and then it's like oh, it kills insects. Uh, butterflies are insects. So, and then they got mean. I mean, uh, some of the companies got mean and started suing farmers for having genetically modified crops on their land, for stealing their copyrighted technology. I mean, you would think that a judge would go, oh, come on, he was downwind from you, and the wind blew pollen from your corn onto his and her field, and now they have BT corn too, and they didn't want it. And the seed company goes, well, they didn't buy it, so we're suing them. And the judge found for the big corporation and made the farmer pay. For the BT corn that he didn't even want. And then in India, they were having so many famines, the scientists said, we need to get you better corn that'll grow. And and now they have corn that'll feed a lot more people. But the U.S. government allowed them to copyright their technology. So now there are seeds that are copyrighted. Okay? Okay. And in India, you have a farmer who saves seeds throughout the years. These seeds are especially adapted to that farmer's soil, but they really do only give you subsistence corn. Feed your family, feed maybe a couple of other families. Um, you want to feed more families, you've got to buy this other corn. That's been modified. The World Bank comes into India and says, we'll give you loans, but only if you buy this other seed. And this other seed is a hybrid, of course, so you can't save the seeds. It won't breed true. It'll break down into what it was hybridized from, which is like weeds. So the farmers every year have to go into debt to buy this corn. That's the only corn they're allowed to buy. And then they get overwhelmed and then they kill themselves. There's a terrible farmer suicide uh, epidemic in India. So, so anyway, we, try to do, we even try to do good, but then we get greedy and we do bad. See what I mean? So we're bringing a lot of these plagues on ourselves. So is that the same thing? Do we bring gun violence on ourselves? Do we bring domestic violence on ourselves? Well, that's as old as human history. We humans are just violent. Do we, I mean, there's so many other plagues. I put on my Facebook, name me some modern plagues. And man, I had like 85 answers. And they weren't even just one word answers. They were long lists of answers. And so, But a lot of it just comes down to fear and arrogance and greed. And greed is even part of fear. You think you're not going to have enough, so you need more. So we've brought a lot of plagues on ourselves. Does that make us different from the people of Israel? Because God sent them those plagues. But we don't live in that world anymore where, where God, I mean, most of us don't where God will send a plague. There are only a few fundamentalists who live in that world where they actually would believe that there was a divine being who would send bad stuff on only certain people to teach them. I mean, you can see that on the 700 Club, but you don't see it really on the street, especially not in Austin. We don't believe in plagues that God sends anymore. We believe, and, and we raise our children this way, you know, you're not getting punished, you're, you're having consequences for your actions. So we live in a world where um, our universe is set up to give us consequences for our actions. So all of these plagues are consequences of our actions, which makes it very hard to stand up against. I stand up against the the violence in the human condition. Yeah, well, good for you. Good luck with that. So we say, where's the way? The way leads on. We've got to We've got to figure out small ways of standing up for clean energy and small ways of standing up for peace in the home and small ways of standing against the white supremacy of our culture and small ways of standing against all of the plagues maybe that we've brought on ourselves. And I think we approach in this congregation, sometimes we approach a scripture as if it were a dream. And in the way that I was taught to interpret dreams, every part of the dream is you. So we are the oppressed ones, and we are also the elite, and we are also the pharaoh, and we need to let go. And we are also um, the plagues. And that doesn't mean that there aren't actual oppressed people. It's not only an inner reality that we have the comfort of dealing with um, in our own good time. We have actual oppressed people we have to stand up for, and there are actual enslaved people we have to stand up for. And there's actual foolishness that people say, oh, science will fix any problems that come from fracking. Don't worry about it. It's even illegal to ask what they use to do it. Um, We rely on control to keep the elite on top, inside and outside. Violence pervades our lives. The rich... Some of whom are trying to help, some of whom are apathetic, and some of whom are merciless. May we be on the right side and may we find our way to our beloved community, which is our promised land. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water, and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth, and grow. Go in peace.